Do you really want your company to stand out in the crowded digital space? Do you want to get more people to know, like, and trust you with your story? Authentic Web Video Marketing Agency can help you to collect those stories, the stories that sell, connect the stories to the situation, produce the videos that you need in each of the situations, and then use the latest techniques, including video ads, retargeting, and email to deliver those video stories. Authentic Web is the video production and marketing agency trusted by top marketers to help their story stand out in a crowded space. Visit AuthenticWeb.media to learn more. In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to another Garlic Marketing Show and another amazing guest that we probably should have been recording for the past 10 minutes. <laughs> All the good stuff happens pre-show. It does happen pre-show. Uh, but author, speaker, mentor, Carrie Wilkerson, the Barefoot Executive, thank you for being on. Yes, I am barefoot. That's always everybody's first question. Yes, I absolutely <laughs> am sitting here in my corner window office barefoot. So that is just get that out of the way. That that's great. That's great because uh, you know it's a, it's a good way to be. My wife makes me put on shoes. So, uh, <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about what you're doing right now. Your business, who you help, who you serve. Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been in business 19 years this year, which is insane. Wow. Um, yeah, the adoption of my first two kids is the reason I got into business because I left my job but wanted to stay home with them but still needed the money. So I did not create a business because I was passionate about business or because I had a big idea or any of that. It's because I just needed to hustle and make some money so I could stay home. With That's my a good kids. purpose. That's a good purpose. There you go. But, um, you know, your, your why, your reason will evolve. And now I am passionate about business. And I evolved from doing what I did to I did sales. I did service. I did several other things uh, under different brands sold businesses, and I started the brand, the Barefoot Executive, August 27th, 2007, when my fourth child was 10 weeks old. Because that's what you do when you have a fourth child and a newborn and another full-time <laughs> to start a website. So, um, so I really started to be an online resource for other people that worked at home because it felt like a lonely place at that point. It felt um, like you were pretty isolated and it still can if you're not really smart about it. And we hit a nerve apparently. And the Barefoot Executive means creating your life and your business in your way. I'm not the girl that says, hey, let's create a business. You can go work on the beach. I'm a girl that says whatever your priorities are, whatever your corner office looks like. Mine has overlooked a cow pasture. Mine has overlooked water. Mine now overlooks a cul-de-sac. Whatever your priorities are, let's create the business that lets you live into your priorities. Instead of prioritizing around your business 
work your business around your priorities. So it's not really about shoes. That's just my nickname because I prefer not to wear name brand shoes. I'm not a shoe girl. I really do like to be barefoot. I'm all about being comfortable here in my space, in my house. It's where I'm happiest. So um, that being said, I started doing that. It evolved into some coaching and mentoring and masterminding. And I started getting asked to speak. So um, I started speaking. I want to say my first official keynote was actually when I was in sales in 2000. And I knew I loved it and I knew I was good at it, but it still wasn't the goal. Like being a keynote speaker was not the goal. I was asked again in the business realm in early 2009. It was the first time I was paid to speak, like thousands of dollars to get paid to speak. And when I was on the stage, I thought this. Sometimes I think you just know. You just hit that spot and you go, okay, this is what I was created to do. This is how I communicate best. This is how I can have the biggest impact. And, um, so that's when I thought, okay, I, I maybe have a voice. I maybe have a message that other people need to hear. So I, I never sought out speaking engagements. They always just kind of came to me. Um, my book deal came to me on Twitter. A publisher contacted me. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. You're supposed to go shop it to publishers. They came to me and said, would you write the barefoot executive for us? And I did. And then This year, I finally said, you know, the kids are a little older. The baby will be 10 this year. Um, So I've had an online brand that's now 10 years old. That is rare. That is really rare. We've seen lots of people come and go in that same time period. So now I'm speaking. I'm authoring. I'm releasing my third and fourth book in the next six weeks. I have a series coming out. And um, and now I keynote. I turn down more things than I accept because of the boundaries on my time. And, and so that's what I'm doing. I am teaching people productivity, teaching people how to juggle all the things that we do, how to keep your priorities first, but still be profitable <clears throat> and, um, and how to do it well and how to impact in the way that you want to build your legacy. Oh, I have 8,000 questions for you. I was like, uh, <laughs> awesome. uh, number, one. <laughs> uh, number one though, you know, talking about this priorities, you know, garlic marketing show, we talk about marketing a lot. And I tell people, you know, when they become clients of authentic web, our agency, when they become, you know, when I'm doing consulting, I'm like, you know, you got to start with that purpose in mind because so many people are like just leads, 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 leads. And I'm like, I'm going to get you those leads. And then you're going to be like, I, and these leads aren't good because you don't like working with them. And I think starting with priorities is so crucial for people. I mean, this is such a great place to start with mark for marketing because you start with priorities. If they serve your priorities, you're going to market more. It's, it's Pavlov's dog. How do you go about, because what, you know, I'm going to talk about a second because we talked about the show before the show, you don't pay attention to other people, but how do you go about deciding what your priorities are and, and letting them evolve? Yeah. So I think first you have to know what your life priorities are. What are your core values? What are the most, what do you want on your tombstone? What do you, and I think for most of us, we don't want it to say, Hey, she was famous. We don't want it to say, you know, she was a great mom. She loved her people. I had a retreat in my home last week with about 10 of my close clients. And one of them said to me afterwards, you love fiercely and it shows. And I thought, okay, I'm okay with that being on my tombstone. If I died today, they could put on my tombstone, Carrie loved fiercely and it showed. I'm okay with that. My clients know I love them. They know I love my work and my family knows 
that I love them. So what are your core values? Um, is it about your faith? Is it about your family time? Is it about what is that about? And then you have to look at your business and your business core values cannot be that different from your family core values or we have misalignment. And we see those people, they're one way online or they're one way with their family and then you have this big disconnect and you, you're like, whoa, they're, they're not who I thought they were. Well, in your business though, you have to say, you could call it a motive too. What's my motive for building my business this quarter? It's not always money. It's not always money. Um, I think we have four primary motives in our business, four primary motives. And I think we have to establish those every quarter. And that way, every decision we make, every blog we read, everything we say yes or no to is filtered through what I call the motive matrix. Um, The motive matrix says, okay, maybe prospects is my my fundamental priority, my motive this quarter. Maybe it's prospects, maybe it's developing products, maybe it's profits, maybe it's pathways, which is infrastructure and systems. Um, There's actually five. Maybe it's positioning, which is credibility and like the Oprah effect, like who am I hanging out with? What's the social proof of what I've done? So depending on where you are in your business, those change. But I really think we need to establish motive one. I call them M1 and M2, motive one and secondary motive for the quarter. So let's say that this quarter yours is um, product development because you've now got all these leads. Say you're working with a great company like yours. I've got all these leads, but they're not turning into money. Well, guess what? It's because you don't have the right product. You don't have the right offer. So your motive this quarter might be products. Your second motive might be pathways, because guess what? You have to have the funnel after the initial offer, or they drop off a cliff and then become a dead lead. So nobody likes the hit and run approach. We don't want to churn and burn. That's old school internet marketing. We're kind of done with that as consumers, as well as marketers with integrity. And so maybe that's your, maybe that's your core motive. So then when somebody says to you, Hey man, come speak with me this weekend, or let's develop this thing together and we'll do this summit and it'll create all these new leads for us. Plus it'll create this great positioning in the marketplace and it's going to take some time. You can look at that Ian, and you can say very quickly based on your motive one and motive two, Thanks so much for thinking of me. Please ask me again next quarter. I'm not your guy right now. That doesn't fit in with my priorities this quarter. You don't have to leave it in your inbox. You don't have to struggle to squish it into your calendar. You don't have to say, oh, that exposure will be great because positioning is not your motive this quarter and dead leads are not your motive this quarter. You don't have the product to support those leads that come in through the summit and you don't have the pathway. It's wise to be able to filter things through your motive one and motive two. Love that. That's awesome. I mean, so powerful because it's something we ask all of our clients and everyone comes to us and they just want leads, right? They just want leads. But I'm like, are you making money off leads? Um, and, And it's a great way to stay focused because, of course, when you say, well, what do you want? Do you want leads? Do you want conversion? Do you want this? Do you want that? Everyone goes, I want it all. Let's do it yeah. all right now. <laughs> you can't have it all. It's like saying it's like saying when you date 
that the girl has to be smoking hot, plus, you know, has to be in church every Sunday, plus this, you know, you can't have all 10 things. Sometimes you have to see what's going to give and what's going to take. And, and you have to know what you're focused on right now. So maybe what you're looking at when you already have a child and you're looking for someone who's going to be a great mom and somebody who's going to be a great life partner, that may be different than what you're looking at in your early 20s when you just want a companion to go party with, right? Mm -hmm. Your business is the same and leads mean nothing if you don't have a product, a pathway, or something to back it up. Leads do not turn into profits. Prospects do not turn into profits without the right pathway or the right product. Yep. And it doesn't serve your life either if it's not if that stuff's not all aligned with the core exactly. values, which is crucial. But you know, I think the let's let's step back and say, you know, if I'm not if I'm working for someone else right now, and I'm not sure I want to be an entrepreneur, but I want to do some marketing. I want this stuff inside of a business. Have you seen people affect this type of change inside of a business that's not theirs? Like they're working for someone else. Yeah, we call that. Um I forget the exact term. I think it's called the employeepreneur. I think that's the new buzzword for that. And I love that. I think that's super smart. I've seen, you know, my husband worked at home with me for 10 years. And I've seen that since he's gone back, he uses some of the same thought processes that I use in my business to go do some of that marketing and warm up and closing and end game for someone else. The truth is we're not all wired to be where the buck stops. We're not all wired to have the same risk threshold (laughs) of creating our own paycheck every day. It's a different kind of stress. It's a different kind of hustle and we're just not all wired that way. And so there will be some elitists and I will say that early on I was probably one of those that would go, uh, they're employee minded, not me. I'm entrepreneur minded. You know, like we were diff- like we were better. There is no better. There's just different. The power, the real power in is knowing which you are and knowing how to take your power within that profile of yourself. So if I am an employee and I like being an employee and I'm not comfortable being an entrepreneur, how do I still hustle within that and make the best of that and leverage that in the biggest possible way so that I'm invaluable, so that I'm promotable, so that I'm not dispensable and I'm not the first to cut when there are budget constraints? That's it's great because I think as business owners too, helping to identify, helping to train people to think that way is, is absolutely crucial too. And having this alignment with them is fantastic. I know I want all of my team to be entrepreneurial within the organization without having obviously exactly. the risk. Um, and that's a fantastic point. Love that your husband's doing it. Um, you know, so when we tell stories, you know, I, I saw that you were telling a story in your latest podcast. But I want to ask you about a few of your stories because you've been in this for 19 years. You've had, I'm sure you've had a few downs and you've probably <laughs> had some, a few ups. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't a straight line just straight up to the top, was it? <laughs> um, so we, you, you talk, we talked about it. You know a lot of the same marketing people, you know, Ryan and a lot of that and, and Craig. And, um, but... What is, you know, in developing the Carrie Wilkerson, the, the barefoot executive, what was your, your, the toughest point in your marketing? What was one of the things that really just didn't work and how did you handle it? So much has not worked. Um, early on, and this is a little bit about what you and I talked about before the mic was on. Um, 
if we can go back for a second to you saying everybody wants leads, want leads, wants leads, the reason they think they need leads is because they're listening to so many people that are telling them they need leads. Mm-hmm. It's because they're believing all the buzz that everybody else is selling. And so they think if they just have more leads or a bigger list or a mega list, then absolutely nothing can go wrong. So I would say pointing back to what I learned early on was you have to selectively choose who you are listening to. I know people with big lists that don't mail their lists because one or two people have complained about them selling something and they're, they've got the voices in their head of the complainers. So I listen to people that have invested in me and in people I am investing in, like my coaches or a mentor or somebody who's heavily vested in me relationship-wise, and also you know, long-term clients or clients that have bought things. If they come to me with a valid concern, I can listen to them because they've invested in me. Tire kickers, complainers, trolls, freebie seekers, I do not listen to them. I do not listen. Now, that's a two-part strategy. Number one, I have a virtual assistant. She's been with me nine years this month. Wow. She screens my emails. That's for a couple of reasons. Number one is she skims off the trolls and she also skims off all the the people blowing sunshine up my skirt so that I don't get full of myself, right? Now she keeps them in a file for if we need testimonials for later. If she hears something negative multiple times and it seems valid, she'll come to me and she'll say, I've heard this from five or more people we might consider. You might think about this, but if it's just somebody creepy or trolly or, you know, having some hormone issues or having somebody kick their cat that day, she takes it for me because most of us take our work very personally. Most of us are very sensitive and we can't get it out of our head. So I I do have a gatekeeper and, and, and those of you already saying, well, I can't afford that. Then create an email, staff at yourdomain.com, team at yourdomain.com. Treat it as if you are a third party reading that. And if one or two people fuss about you selling, selling something or launching something or something that you said, chalk it up, compare it first of all to the total numbers on your list and realize everybody's entitled to a bad day. Don't feel like you have to respond to it right away. Don't respond out of emotion. The Southern way to respond, you want to hear it? The Southern way is, bless their heart. Bless. <laughs> they must be having a rough day. That really is how I approach it. They must be having a hard day. I'm going to have to pray for them because they're having a hard day. They're dealing with something that I can't understand, and I was their first target. And I'm a big girl, and I'm going to keep serving the people that want to be served, you know? So I think my biggest mistakes I made early on were listening to too many people. I learned very quickly not to do that. Buying too many products, going to too many seminars, having too many influences. And I learned quickly to stop, to stop that. Also trying to be all things to all people. Um, I didn't hone in quickly enough um, on who I was and what my brand was. So um, those those were mistakes, and I didn't have a core offer soon enough. I did too many affiliate things and promote. You know, I diluted myself too much early on, 
Um, I also wrote a book that was great for my brand, but did not bring the customer that I wanted. I wrote a book for the publisher, not for my priorities. And that was a mistake. And I lost two years because of that, because of writing it. And because of the startup client it brought me, that's not who I was working with at the time. So that was a mistake. My first book was a mistake because I didn't stand up to the publisher big enough and bring in the right client. So, so many mistakes. I've invested in shortcut solutions where I lost $10,000 because I thought, oh, that'd be great. We'll get, we'll turn this over to them. And then I was not vested enough in the process to stay hands on and I lost the money and had to walk away from it. I mean, I've made mistake after mistake after mistake trying to be other people instead of being so okay with who I was. Again, early mistakes, and I'm so over that now. I'm so just me now, and unapologetically, unashamedly, unabashedly just me, and that's why I'm self-publishing my books. I'm writing what I want to write for the client that I want to have, and um, and it is what it is now. So I love that. That was very inspiring, very passionate, and, uh, and, and so true. Because I see this so often where the two big things that I we have problems with is people looking at what other people are doing, which does not like just because someone's doing this market piece of marketing does not mean that's why they're successful. A lot of times it doesn't mean it's working. Yeah. We don't even know if it's working. We know they say it's working, but we don't really know. No. And, and then the other side of it is what you said with the email. And I think that is genius because so often we let that one bad email that took someone one minute to write and they got off their chest ruin our week, our month, our year, or stop us from doing something crucial. Uh, and I think that technique right there could change people's lives. And I appreciate Agreed. That. And the other thing, and this is one thing we talked about earlier, um, I don't follow many people. I choose one person or one skill per year to develop. One person to follow or one skill per year to develop. What I mean by that is I am not on anybody's email list except for the one person that I follow. So the next question is always this, who are you following? Who are you following? Number one, it's none of your business. Number two, it's none of your business. I'm following who's best for my business. You have to follow who's best for your business. So if you, if funnels is your thing this year, find the best funnel person or the person that's more closely aligned with you funnel wise and follow them. More importantly than follow, implement. Yes. Okay. Implement. I buy one course or attend one seminar per year. You asked me if I was going to the big seminar that's coming up. I could. I could go free. Those guys are all my buddies. I could go hang out, do hallway education. I could probably call somebody and say, hey, give me give me 15 minutes on stage. I could do that. That's my network. But I have to look at what my motives are in my business right now, and it doesn't serve me right now. Three days away from my kids doesn't fit into my core values right now. Being there for three days uncompensated and not even in that internet marketing space right now value-wise, it doesn't make sense for me. Sometimes we do that because we're hoping for a secret or a miracle or some magic or the joint venture that's going to be the big thing. When really, if you spent that three days with your nose to the grindstone, pounding out your own funnels or pounding out your own lead gen or pounding out your own business, you'd be way ahead of the game. Yes. Way ahead of the game. 
Yes. So I, and I think that's it's a valid point. Like once you find, you learn and implement, right? Learn, implement, learn, implement. Don't try and do everything all at once. Oh man. Um, and so when you talk about your one skill, you're learning. Um, is that a personal skill or uh, do you do one personal one? Because this learning thing to me is imp- is important too. Yeah. Uh, do you do one professional, one personal, or are you just learning one professional skill? One professional for sure. So this year I'm actually, and I, I'm a full-time speaker and I'm booked to speak and my skills are good there, but I want them to be even better. So this year I'm focusing on my speaking delivery and things related to speaker booking, those kind of things. Um, so all my passwords on all my things have the word something to do with speaking in it, something to do with an affirmation. All my passwords have to do with that. All of my goals business-wise have to do with the skill and the thing that I'm working on improving. Um, and so it's no, it's no accident that I'm signing a contract this week with an agent that came to me. I mean, it's, you can call it law of attraction. I call it the law of massive action. You know, it's, it's the, the relationships you create, what you're focused on, and the things that you're building. Um, one year, it was funnels. One year, it was rebranding. One year, it was content creation. One year, it was delegation. Um, that's a good thing about being in business so many years, right? You have all these great years of improvement. And something I think is really important, sometimes you start following somebody or learning from them, and the most valuable part of that education is some things not to do or some character traits not to mm-hmm. have. And I've encountered that too. And sometimes you can follow somebody for two or three months and get everything you need from them and then focus on implementation the whole rest of the year. But I'm not investing a lot of money in shortcuts or solutions or those kind of things. I am working on my core business, looking at my core motives and then building those skills. As far as personally, I've been on a fitness journey for a long time. I've lost 145 pounds now, wow. and that's just a little more every year. So it may be, uh, and I'm also reading like, uh, the diet evolution by Gundry right now, because I'm learning about nutrition and I'm learning. And, and yes, I've studied it and I know a lot of it. I'm no nutritionist and I don't advise other people, but I do work on personal development at the same time. Probably not with like, I don't attend like one personal seminar and I don't buy one personal thing, but I do consciously look at how can I improve myself I'm another reason I don't watch a lot of people. And this means on social media, I don't follow my competitors, whatever that even means. What's a competitor? I don't even know. Um, I don't follow them on social media. I don't keep up with what everybody else is doing because I don't care. It's not my business. I'm minding my own business. We always think that's a negative term. Like, ah, she told me to mind my own business. I'm saying I'm a business coach. I'm telling you, mind your business. Minding their business is not making you any money. It's not making you any friends. It's not making you any connections. Do your business unapologetically your way. So I don't follow launches. I don't follow everybody's new whatever they're doing. I go to social media to talk to my people, to communicate with my people, to interact with them, and then I'm done. And then I then I go away. I read things that develop me. Not to say, oh, what are they up to that's working so well? I don't read competitors' books. Why would I? Our mind is so susceptible. I don't want to read something that's not in alignment with my priorities and somewhere in my subconscious it becomes okay. I also don't want to read something catchy and then it appears in my training later and I think it was mine, but I really got it from there. I want to be blameless 
as far as copying people's stuff or whatever. I want to be able to say, oh, that's cool. They said that. I said that too. Here's where I blogged about it. I've never read their stuff. Um, awesome. You know, so people that tend to be overwhelmed or overtasked or out of time are always online. Nine times out of 10, they're on too many lists. They're clicking too much clickbait. They're following too many people and they have too many voices in their head. You guys just got to stop that. Stop it. Love that. And I, we see that so much. And, and you know, being in the space, I go, you know, I go to friends events and, you know, just, and I, I love to do it because I, for me, I love to analyze how people are doing stuff so I can improve it. And like, I even went, like I go on, t- when we're on vacation, I go on timeshare sales things to see how yeah. they, they, yeah. they promote. Cause I love, I'm like, oh, this is exciting to me. Yeah. So if that's <laughs> part of your business plan. Yeah. If, if what I'm studying this year is how to host events and have a higher closing rate, then yeah, it would absolutely make sense for me to go to several events for the sole purpose of reverse engineering them on a meta level. But then you have to use your own judgment on that worked for them, but my people are different. And I'll tell you, barefoot people are different and they're different because I'm different mm-hmm. and they're not going to respond to all the same things, you know, that somebody else might use when they do their altar call at the end of their event, my people are, are not necessarily going to respond to that. So for me to bring that home and try to implement that same thing, I'm not going to have the same response. So you do have to be very careful when you do that and reverse engineer. You have to know when to respect the advice, but reject the advice. Mm-hmm. You have to have the sense and the discernment on what to adopt and what to reject. And that's okay. All right. I'm writing that down. <laughs> um so let's let's talk about you a little bit more since we talked about every, you know um, when you've got this beautiful website a lot of great information on it and your Facebook page why why should this be the thing that people go to um, who and you know, who first should be of all, going you there? have to have you have to have real estate that you own online mm-hmm You have to have real estate that you own. If all you have is a Facebook page, if all you have is a Twitter presence, if all you have is Instagram, those can be valuable, but they can also be gone just like that. You know people and I know people that without rhyme or reason, for no fault of their own, their profiles disappear, shut down, their ad accounts go away, and their business is gone. We've had friends whose YouTube accounts had millions of subscribers. They were monetizing it like crazy. Gone. Gone. You have to have a website for the primary purpose of positioning. Positioning, what's your credibility? Do you have a presence? Media is not going to talk to you if you don't have a presence online, period, end of story. Um, you have to, and a lot, of, a lot of customers won't either, that you have to have some real estate. Number two is you have to have a place to capture names. You have to have something to give them so that they can learn more about you. It's, so think of it as your own match.com. You have to see if y'all are a good fit, right? You need to give them something valuable or at least something pers- dripping with your personality so they can see right off if you guys are a fit. We want to either get them in the fold quickly or get them out of the fold, fold quickly. We don't necessarily want to be Howard Stern or Rush Limbaugh about it. You don't want to be like just polarizing just to be polarizing. (laughs) But if somebody is really turned off by Southern family driven, um, mama, casual, you know, tough love, I'm not their girl. And they need to know that early on. So 
Your website has to be a place, it, think of it as like a spaghetti strainer, right? We've got to strain people and then give them a place where we can keep in touch with them. Your email list is so important, not because it's going to make you a fortune, but because you have to own those assets of their names. That's why a website is important. I think a beautiful website is important. When I say beautiful, what I mean by that is I think it has to be congruent with who you are on Facebook and Twitter. It needs to flow. It needs to match. Now, let me also say, I did not have a website for my first six months in business. I had an opt-in page. That was it. And I still made lots of money. But but the pictures and the banner, which I had created like on Fiverr or something similar at that point, the colors were the same on YouTube as they were on Twitter, as they were on my opt-in page. That makes you look more professional. Am I saying go buy a branding package with somebody? Y'all, I did not have business cards for six years. I did not have a logo until last year. I did not have professional pictures taken until two years ago because of my weight. I really hated the camera. So it's not about that. It's just about congruency. It doesn't have to be expensive. My, you know, I use Rainmaker, but WordPress is fine. WordPress is fine. Just make sure your stuff looks like it flows one to the other. I've had TV shows call me specifically because they said, when we clicked from Twitter to Facebook to your site, you can tell you're a pro because everything matches. Everything blends. It looks purposeful and intentional. I'm a hot mess nine times out of 10. I'm all over the map nine times out of 10, but they thought I had it together because Fiverr did a good job blending me. My bear, my Facebook page, all the graphics there, I did have professional pictures taken. They were $200. (laughs) I used a senior senior portrait photographer because they do such good personality pictures. They were $200. And then I had somebody on Fiverr do my banner, do my social profiles, and I think that was 20 bucks. So don't let money be an obstacle. Get somebody on Fiverr to do it, but do make sure that you have some real estate that you own that makes it look like you're in it to win it, not like you're dipping your toe in and everything's homemade. Stop that homemade business. People don't want to invest in your experimentation. And then make sure it blends across the platforms. Be unified. That's fantastic because that's, I mean, that's, it's simple branding because I hate the term branding for the fact that people, they immediately go to, let me spend three days on my logo, you know, and let me spend two meetings about our business cards. And I'm like, that's not, you I need to meet with a branding consultant. I've never met with a branding consultant. I've had them call me for advice because Barefoot is such a strong brand. It was my nickname. It was my nickname. I didn't. I didn't intend for that to be this brand. It just was my nickname. So just be your brand. Who are you? What do you believe? What are you about? And and that then build your brand from here instead of what some consultant says. And and that comes back to the priorities, right? Their, your priorities become your brand. Your priorities become your story. Yeah. And, and you don't have to necessarily have the ultimate passion right now. As if you're just in it to your to fulfill your priorities of spending time with your family or building a business that you enjoy going to every day, whatever that is, it's right. crucial advice and not trying to do everything based on what other people look. You know, I on the side note, you know, I I work with a lot of attorneys and that's the biggest their biggest downfall is spending too much time worrying about what 
everyone else is doing instead of worrying about what they're doing. Uh, but so who should come and follow your Facebook page? Who should come follow Carrie Wilkerson? Who, who are you going to help really take them to the next level? I know you can help a lot of people, but who do you yeah, want to help? That's, um, you know, my brand has evolved, which has been, you know, been good. And I, I kind of floundered for a couple of years. Um, I found out that I really fought personal development. I really thought I was just going to be the business growth girl. That's really what I loved. It's what I wanted to do. Um, I really fought the, the brand motivational speaker. I fought the brand cheerleader, um, you know, all that. And, and the truth is, that is who I am. I found out there had been people on my list for five, six years that were only on my list because of my adoption story or only on my list because of my debt story or only on my list because of my weight loss story. And so that's when I said, oh, you know what? I really am a personal development girl. I really am a self-growth girl. So encouraging leadership is kind of what I do now, whether that's in creating more profitable systems so that you can live more into your priorities. You know, we talk about business some. We really talk about if I had to just sum it all up, I really encourage people to be in alignment. What I mean by alignment is, are you walking your walk? Are you, are, are you walking your talk? What you say you're doing? If you're talking about productivity and goal setting, does your weight also show that? And mine did not for a long time. I lost 70 pounds in the last two years to get very in, in alignment with the rest of my brand. So are you in alignment? Are you doing what you're telling other people to do? Are you a walking billboard priority wise? When people ask me, hey, I want to do an interview with you on a Monday. I say, thank you. I would love to be on your show, but I don't do Mondays. Tuesdays and Thursdays are my are my interview days. And that reason is because that's what I have blocked off for those days. I reserve those. My kids even know Tuesdays and Thursdays are mom's work days. Don't call home sick. Don't think she's going to show up at a school assembly if she's got something booked. They just know. And nine times out of ten, people do not get irritated with me. They say, I wish I was in alignment with my priorities like you are. So the people I can help are people that really want to get concrete on their priorities. People maybe that don't have anybody supportive in their life. I am the world's biggest cheerleader, you know, my skirts are longer, but still, I, I so <laughs> believe that we can be better versions of us. I don't care if I'm ever like you. I don't care if I'm ever like Craig Ballantyne or Ryan Dice or any number of anybody. Um, I want to be a better me today than I was yesterday. And I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. What does better mean? Does better mean thinner or healthier or more focused, more present, um, using my brain pathways more. What does that mean? Well, the good news is we define success for ourselves. So if I can help you with self-leadership and family leadership and business leadership, and if I can encourage you to keep going even when it's hard, I don't know if you know this, my hashtag is carry on, like spelled like my name, carry on. And what that means is we can do hard things and we can do hard things with no reward for a long time before it pays off. We can hang in there. Um, People that stumble upon me and they go, oh, wow, you have a speaker agent and you have these books. I want to I want to do that fast like you. You just came out of yeah. In 19 years, you also can be an overnight success. We can do hard things. We can overcome debt and infertility and depression and marital issues and and discouragement and job loss and X, Y, Z. Fill in the blank here. So I'm an encourager. I'm a leadership trainer. I'm a 
profitability and productivity master, that's who I can help. And whether that's in relationships or whether that's in fitness or whether that's in your business or in getting out of debt, whatever that looks like for you, then the fact is those are the people that like being in my space. The people that just need to hear maybe one more time how I do it, how they can do it. Um, I'm not the brand that says, don't you want to be like me? I don't want you to be like me. I'm so annoying sometimes. <laughs> I want you to be you. So I'm not selling the be like Carrie brand. I'm not the, hey, if you do this, you can be like me too. I'm all about, let's look at some ways that you can be your best you. Let's look at some ways to turn you up a little bit. Let's let's be you, but louder. Let's be you, but more alive and more present and more in the moment. And what is it that you want on your tombstone? Mm, that's such great advice. And I, I think that's crucial these days because there's so many people trying to be Gary Vaynerchuk and trying to be this person uh, and that person. I love that. I love that message. Uh, and I'd, I'd love for a lot of people to listen to some of these things because there's specific people I, I think need to hear it. Uh, you know who you are. <laughs> if this irritates you, that means I'm sandpaper and I'm trying to make you better. <laughs> um, but, you know, and you mentioned your stories there. And there are stories that a lot of people might not talk about. A lot of people might not put in there. And then they might not tell over and over again. How did you work up the courage to tell your stories? How did you, how do you keep using them over and over without feeling like you're abusing them? Because I know a lot of people feel like, I don't want to tell that story because it's too personal. And I don't want to feel like I'm using that story. Right. Um, I don't feel like I overuse my stories. I don't. One thing that's key, um, a speaker friend of mine said this early on. He's a communication expert. He said, don't use your audience for therapy. Don't use the story until you're through it. Yes. Don't drag them through it with you. They cannot help you. And if they're so focused on helping you and curing you, then you're not serving them. You're allowing them to escape you know, their own thing because they're trying to fix you. So don't use your audience for therapy. So um, my weight battles, I mean, a lot of people saw me when I was in it, but I didn't like blog every day. Today, my macro intake was this and I did this. I didn't. A lot of people didn't know until I posted new pictures. They're like, what, what happened? Last time we saw her, she was puffier and snugglier. What happened? Um, you know, stuff that goes on in my home and with my children. First of all, my children, I, I talk about my older kids' adoption story, but they're adults now, and I have permission from them to tell their story. I waited until they were a little older, and there are still parts of the story that we don't share because that's theirs. So I like to practice what I call arm's length intimacy, and that means you can feel like you really know me, but there are still things that you don't know, right? There are still things that, um, for my family's sake and for my sake, that that's better for face-to-face -face relationship, flesh-to-flesh -flesh relationship. Um, I'm happy to have those conversations if we have a real relationship, but those are things that maybe in mass don't translate as well. But debt stories, you know, my debt story is one that until we were through it, until we were on the other side of it, it wasn't something I was proud of. I wasn't proud of it till I overcame it. And even then, I'm still kind of embarrassed. It always gets a big laugh when I say, you know, you're in trouble 
when you have to break your debt to your husband, 35 grand at a time. And after the first news, then you go, oh, what the heck? If he didn't leave me with the first 35, maybe the next 35 will be okay. And then the irony is he's a financial planner. Right, right. So um, I think we have to be careful with our stories. But the reason I do share my stories is, number one, I need people not to think I've arrived or not to think I'm perfect and not to think that I've had it easy. They need to know I'm as much of a mess as them. They need to know that we can do hard things. They also, um, it's a little bit like throwing out your fat pants. I, I want to never go back to that. So that's kind of a mass accountability. It's kind of a mass accountability when you talk about some of your victories. So we all know about the biggest losers that then when they go and write their books and go on speaking tour, when they disappear, you know it's because they've regained their weight. They're hiding out. They can't be public anymore. They're hiding out. I have no intention of hiding. I have no intention of getting off a stage anytime soon. And therefore, I have to throw out the fat pants. I'm not saving them in the closet for fat days. There will be no more fat days, period. Same with anything else. I'm just not going to go there. So part of me sharing my story is, hey, I've been here just exactly where you are. As a matter of fact, I was probably even more messed up than you. And so what's what's our excuse for not doing better? If I can do it and I'm such a raging hot mess, you can do it too. You know, so so I think there's that. But if it's a story that involves other people, marital stories you have to be careful with, not only because of the spouse and the people involved, but because of your kids. So I do ask that people not overshare. I, I do think you need permission from your family before you do tell-alls or reveal all. We've all been in an audience where somebody overshared and it was a little <laughs> uncomfortable, right? So um, again, some things need to be saved for personal conversation. Some things translate better in a blog post than a stage. I think you have to be judicious, but people do need to know where you were, what you did, and how it turned out. And where I think the entrepreneurship community is lacking is we're not talking enough about our failures. We're not talking enough about the ad campaigns that didn't work, about yes. the books that flopped. Seth Godin has a great post about, uh, I think it's his Ship It post. He says, you know, you can talk all you want about my two or three bestsellers. Nobody ever talks about the 10 that didn't sell, you know, even a thousand copies. So I think we have to be a little more open. Uh, for instance, I say the truth is I've lost probably 550 pounds because 30 to 50 of those pounds I kept losing and gaining and losing and gaining, <laughs> losing and gaining over again. Um, you know, so I think we have to be a little more forthright about the things that aren't working. Otherwise, when we're looking at people's email lists and we're looking at the magazine covers, people see us as a finished product. That's exactly what my new book is about. Move the needle that's coming out this month. It's about the small, tiny, almost imperceptible changes that add up to massive transformation. That transformation does not happen the way it does on Fixer Upper. It does not happen <laughs> from broken house to fixed house within one episode. It just doesn't happen. They only show you one budget Overage. They only show you one disagreement between the homeowner and the show producer. They don't show you all the messy middle. We have to be very aware there's a messy middle and be willing to go through it or be content to remain the same as we are. Yes. That reminds me of my, one of my favorite quotes from the Tao Te Ching where it's Lao Tzu says, the great acts are made up of many small deeds. 
and it's and that's so true. And uh, to your point with the failures, I've talked about this a lot, and it it, it hurts us as a business too, agency owners, because people come to us going, "Well, I saw this succeed and this succeed." I'm like, "You didn't see everything that failed before that." And I'm telling you that we're gonna have to fail because I cannot predict this infinite things, but we will get right. there. Uh, right. And that's great, great advice from business marketing across the board. Um, so you, you're successful as a speaker. I, I, I talk to speakers. I help other speakers market. Um, it, where, if you were starting over, I mean, you've it worked for you, but it was 19 years, right? If you were starting over right now and wanted to get speaking gigs, what would you do? That's a great question. And the truth is my parents would tell you I've been speaking since birth, that they just couldn't <laughs> shut me up. Um, I, I didn't intend to be a speaker. I always thought I would be a, a singer. So I studied music in college. I was kind of on the stage singing at my dad's church all the time. And when I was about nine, uh, he was a pastor of a little country church. And so when somebody didn't show up or when he needed a specific song, it was always me. It was always baby girl. Right. So he'd say, uh, so one week he said, um, okay, so this week when you get up to sing, I'm not going to introduce you. You're going to get up and introduce yourself, and then you're going to introduce the song. You're going to make it relevant, or you're going to tell a story or tie in a scripture. Well, Dad, I'm not going to speak. I was nine. Like, I'm not going to speak. I just want to sing. He says, nope, you've been performing, and now instead you need to start leading. He said, so if you're not willing to do that, you don't get to sing anymore. So, of course, I did because I wanted to sing. And he taught me how to tie in what I was doing to the people in the room or to what he was going to preach about or whatever. And he he really taught me to think on my feet. It was a very good improv. It was very good um, scope of how everything works together instead of just that little bubble of me getting up doing my thing, getting the applause and walking away. So I became that girl, like an MC kind of girl, the girl who who led the groups at school and and all that. So speaking is the same way. It's making what you want to say relevant to the people in the room or what the other speakers are saying and being effective and keeping their attention. And it's harder than it sounds. People that say to me, oh, I want to be a motivational speaker. Well, first you have to have a story. You have to have some content. Zig Ziglar, one of the greatest motivational speakers of our time, had his his failing stories and his success stories and his sales secrets. He taught sales strategy. He was not just a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. I teach productivity and profitability and living into your priorities. I'm not just a motivational speaker. Every speaker should be motivational because motivation means move you to action. So whether you're speaking on ads or speaking on marketing or speaking on fitness, I should move my audience to action. So that being said, you have to have a story. You have to have something to say that's compelling, that's different, that's unique. You have to be able to hold their attention. Um, you have to get good at what you do. And that doesn't just mean somebody along the way said, oh, I could listen to you speak all day. Y'all, we have all seen the American Idol auditions of those delusional people <laughs> that think they can sing. Am I right? Yeah. Their mama, their aunt, their grandma, somebody told them along the way that they were a good singer and they believed it. 
Don't believe the press until you have worked on things, until you have a process, until someone has paid you to speak and then maybe paid you again or referred you to somebody else. You are not a speaker. You have to get good at your message. You have to get know what your content is. If I say to you, what do you speak on? And you say, oh, I can speak about anything. Nope. <laughs> nope. What do you speak on? Who do you speak to? What's your core audience? I speak on productivity, profitability, and living into your priorities. I have a combination. I start with approximately 20 minutes of comedy. Anybody that's ever heard me speak knows that humor alternated with kicking the gut hard truth is kind of my balance. You have to entertain them. You're competing with devices. You're competing with all these other voices. You have to be good at what you do. And then I would go back to what's your motive? Why do you want to speak? Do you like the attention? Do you want the applause? Do you think it's going to miraculously grow your business? What is your motive for speaking? If you're grow if you're speaking to grow your business, then your content needs to bring in the perfect client and you you're not you don't care if you're getting paid to speak, you're going to get leads when you speak to bring people into your business. If your motive is applause, um you know what? There are easier ways to get clapped for. Go do karaoke in some bars or something. There are easier ways than being a public speaker. If that's your motive, it's going to be very empty, very hollow. You have to really have this core message that you're passionate about impacting people with. And then that's still not enough. It has to fill a need in the marketplace so that other people recognize it for as valuable as you do. So if I were starting over, I would get good at what I do. I would speak free. A friend of mine says, I tell people all the time, go speak a hundred times as quickly as possible. Go do a hundred gigs for free in your hometown, in your surrounding areas. Do rotary clubs, do PTA meetings, do library things, whatever it looks like. Do a hundred gigs as close to each other as possible. Accept the feedback, take notes, tweet. Uh, tweak what you're saying and basically do what Seinfeld and Chris Rock and those guys do when they tour the clubs testing one joke. They'll change one joke in their whole thing and they'll do three or four clubs just to tweak the one joke. We have to put the work in. Nobody is born a speaker. Nobody just becomes a speaker. We work on it. We read, we tweak our material, we perfect it, we find out what the audience wants and needs and how we serve them, and then we have to put ourselves out there. So you have to get credibility in social media, you have to be found or be willing to pound the pavement to find the gigs, but you have to be willing to do the 100 things free first, get the testimonials, get some clips of you doing it. Don't think you're just going to break out of the box and start getting paid right away. Oh. Great, great advice. And I didn't know, so I've never seen you speak, uh, but if I wanted to see you speak, uh, are you speaking any place soon that we could, uh, the general public could see? And are there some yeah. great videos I could watch? Yeah, if you go to my speaking page online, I think there are a couple of clips. If you go to Barefoot Executive, which is on YouTube, there are some clips. Um, a lot of what I do are private conventions and conferences, so they're not public public I was trying to think of my next public thing and I don't think I have a public thing the closest thing to public speaking that I have online right now is if you search for all the podcasts that I'm on I mean guys podcasting and being on people's web shows that is great to be able to hone your message 
you know, test some new content, test some of your funny material, test some of your serious material. That's a really good way to do that too. So I would say your hundred free gigs plus being on podcasts, that's a great way to communicate how, how well you speak. But yeah, if you want to see me speak, I don't have anything public right now. I really am racking my brain right now. Nothing public right now. <laughs> my conventions tend to be, uh, my sweet spot right now is sales conventions and sales force conventions with five to 15,000 people. But with the goal this next year is an arena. That's the, mm. that's on the vision board this year is an arena. So we'll be making that happen soon. But um, I think that the probably the fastest way is videos and um, podcasts online. Love it. Carrie, you've been an incredible guest. So exciting. So much great information. I have pages and pages of notes <laughs> to, uh, to put out to people because, man, it's such a valuable podcast. I think a lot of people need to listen to this a few times. Some of the mindsets, some of the tactics. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Ian. I appreciate it. All right. And thank you all for taking Carrie and I on your journey and listening to The Garlic Marketing Show. That's it for The Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.